Hi, I'm Brian Pearson. This is the Mystic Cave. We were born before the wind Also younger than the sun And our bonnet boat was one As we sailed into the mystic The Mystic Cave is a sanctuary for the seeker. Stories, conversations, and reflections about the spiritual journey on the other side of Churchland. In this episode, we continue our conversation with Tara Livingston. Like me, Tara left the ministry as an Anglican priest and left the church as well. She now applies her counseling skills to couples who are either preparing for marriage or preparing for divorce. In the first part of our conversation, Tara identified the many people who were part of her spiritual journey growing up. Now we turn our attention to what a modern-day seeker needs to help them along the unknown path. But it leads us back to the church communities we left behind. Will we never be free? And just like way back in the days of old Tara, welcome back to the cave. Very nice to be here. (laughs) Well, of course, we didn't really go anywhere because this is part two of our conversation. And um, we spoke in the first episode um, about your faith journey Mm -hmm. that led up to your ordination. You became an Anglican priest, but also beyond that because um, of the disappointments that you described about the church. But you are still living your faith journey, as we were talking about. Mm -hmm. And we're going to pick up on that for this conversation, especially about the content of of your faith and how it's changed. Um, Because I'm conscious that as we're both uh, former Anglican clergy, and uh, when you're working as an Anglican priest, your faith is kind of handed to you, in, insofar as professionally. Yeah. Like, uh, here are the creeds, here are the prayers you're supposed to say, you're not, you're not allowed to change them. Um, and but, so, we, but both of us did. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I guess we could say that now. Okay. Yeah, we could say that now. It's in my memoir, for heaven's sakes. Yeah, I did. exactly. So, yes. So, but, I followed but, in your footsteps again and rewrote prayers. Aren't you grateful? I am. <laughs> so, so, there's... Um, it, it allows it would it would allow clergy people to have a kind of a f- um, faith by proxy. It's like through my role, these are all the things I believe, which may or may not be very dear to us uh, personally. So I'm curious how your faith has changed, especially since mm-hmm. leaving the ministry, mm-hmm. when you don't have to say those words. Mm-hmm. What and and you said earlier too about you know you're trying to find new words. How would you describe your faith now if somebody were to ask you, which I am asking you, actually? Okay. If someone were to ask me, especially if Brian Pearson was to ask me, I think my response would be, uh, I don't know. I'm still on very much on the journey, and I find myself thinking 
So I was never a person who did, you know, kind of had a, pr- a formal prayer time. I'm going to sit down and, you know, say these words. Um, but there was things like, like um, uh, Psalm one thirty three: "Be still and know that I am God." And I still use that as a uh, an entryway into meditation. Mm-hmm. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know that I. Hmm. Be still and know. Um, so, because I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. There are so many good things that I learned from uh, the kind of language of the 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 church, and even as much as I railed, even as I taught the course on the Nicene Creed and tried to really emphasize what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> At the time that it was written by a, you know, under these circumstances and for these reasons, um, there are things that we can still learn from all of those. And so I don't want to get rid of the language altogether. And for however I feel about Jesus, uh, you know, being uh, born as a deity, uh, you know, from the sperm of God uh, and, you know, living and then, uh, you know, dying and rising again in bodily form and all of those kind of things that, that, that don't and really, quite frankly, never have um, sat well with me. There are so many good things that I take from what I learned mm-hmm. in the Gospels and from his teaching, and especially when I look at it through a historical context. So I don't want to get rid of those things, um, but I also don't want to preach them anymore. I don't want to, I don't think I ever did. I was never uh, a kind of preacher that uh, invited people to take my own uh, my own beliefs on as their own. Uh, I really wanted them to enter into their own vocabulary but the truth is, as I said, you know, for um, it's like I was grew up speaking Greek and I still speak Greek. But I have a deep faith in prophets. Mm. I think that there are prophetic voices that don't get credit now that are still out there. And just as the prophets that we read about uh, in the Bible, they're often uh, hated and shamed in the time that they're living and aren't kind of realized the prophetic voice that they had until after they die. Um, so uh, Martin King King Jr., for instance, uh, Malala, you know, prophetic yeah. voice and what it is she's saying. So I'm always looking for the the prophets. Uh, and so, but that's a language that I learned through my uh, Christian upbringing that I don't want to get rid of, that yeah. there's prophets. What about what, when you... You described feeling, uh, you felt a connectedness to what you called God mm-hmm. as a child, or at least it's a mm-hmm. young person, that that was not something that you seemed to have to work at, that mm-hmm. that you felt a connection with God. Do you still feel that today? Yeah, I. but I don't know God, Allah, Jehovah. I, um, is it personal? It is. But it's not mine. He's not mine. She's not mine. It's not mine. It doesn't belong to me. It's just, it's somehow that I feel uh, that the universe, even to use that kind of language, is somehow uh, enveloping me, and that I'm part of it in a way uh, that that is 
hard to explain because really my uh, my physical self is a in the person form of living here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and uh, but somehow I'm big of part of something bigger, uh, and that I'm not alone. Yeah. So and there's a connectedness to that. Uh, which is really important to me because I think, you know, if, if I was going to say there was a theme in my life, it's relation. Yeah. It's relationships and yeah. it's all about relationships and uh, fostering good relationships, being a good friend to have good friends. Um, as my Tyler said to me once, being a good mom, so I have good kids. Mm. Um, but it is, it, it's in that relation. But, and I think that there's a, a spirituality of some sort that happens when you're in a moment and boy post covid i can't wait for this experience again when we're able to gather with people that we love and who love us unconditionally yeah. right who know us wor- warts and all and you know kind of put up with our craziness yeah. and and carry us through our difficult times and celebrate us with us when we're joyful um, that is transcendent, that it's otherworldly. You spoke of this la- in our last conversation about uh, when you were drawn back to church, which happened to be the Church of the Redeemer in Stony Creek, mm. where they just accepted you, even though you were concerned that you didn't have the right beliefs, um, following the death of your father, how the uh, Women's League uh, drew you in. Um, so th- that was a specific experience of being unconditionally loved and accepted mm. but but the human uh the human element of that was expressed of course through an organ a religious organization called the church so where do we find that on mm. the other side of church land well isn't that a great question because i've been wondering <laughs> the same thing uh, uh, i've been enjoying reading uh i haven't had a ton of time uh lately but dan kraut Crowsert, yeah. is that how you say his name? Yeah. He's got wonderful posts on your page yeah. that in- encourage this kind of thoughts. Yeah. Well, how do we recreate that in community? Um, uh, I, I remember I, I responded to somebody who was talking about, um, you know, bringing their child up in church. Well, I'm not too sure right now, but, you know, I really want her to have the experience of, of church. And I would always say, even with my own kids, uh, that the community of church was life-changing for them. Yeah. They can work a room like nobody's business, especially <laughs> as clergy kids. They have an experience of being involved with multi-generations that they're not related to, having to navigate that, so they're kind of social skills, but also having the experience when when my mother passed away, um, uh, I was... I of course I, I I had myself replaced for the Sunday morning. Obviously, I couldn't go in and preside. And uh, my brother had come down from Edmonton, and um, my son Wesley said, "But we need to go to church." And I said, "Great. Where do you want to go?" And he said, "Holy Nativity," which is where I was the priest. Yeah. And so I called the person who was filling in. And I said, "Just to let you know, we're just going in because we needed to be enveloped by that community." We needed to be loved by these people who knew us and were kind of sorrowing for us and with us. Um, I don't know how to recreate that. Uh, 
in anything that doesn't look like something that becomes all formalized. Right. Right? Because I think that the people who were uh, hanging out at the beginning of Christianity, they were just hanging out. Right? Mm. And then some t- somebody said, well, no, we should share the body and blood of Christ. And then it became so entrenched that, well, you had to do that if you were going to continue. And so that's the, the difficult with so, the... With so, so uh, um, and just uh, to, so that our listeners uh, know um, that uh, you were referring in part to the Facebook group, The Mystic Cave. And that, and interesting in creating that, uh, I was looking for a forum uh, for community to gather because I was putting my uh, memoir out there and it felt very vulnerable. And mm. I, ne- I knew I needed to hear back. Like, mm. it, rather than just put it out into, mm-hmm. into cyberspace, I kind of needed to. So, created the group um, of, of fellow seekers, and which, what, what we call on the other side of Churchland. Um, and, and it was more after the fact, when it started to, to gel, that I realized, I need this. This is what I miss about church. Um, I, I, I miss the gathering of, of community. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's possible to do it um, online. I mean, that's, that's who knew. Uh, but that... And the exciting thing about that is, um, uh, is that we get to include and not include, because that would be us and them, uh, but to welcome... Uh, people from all over the place because yeah. we don't have to physically gather, uh, yeah. so we can have um, people, but all part of the community and engaging in the conversation yeah. like this. Yeah. Well, how do you describe your spirituality now at the yeah. place where you are in your life? Um, and I, I think it's a worthwhile. Here, here's the thing. I'm not looking for the answer. I'm enjoying the journey. And the experience of going through these questions and wondering about it, I think it's important. Uh, there's a couple of things that I've learned over uh, my life for a ver- variety of reasons. One of them is that if you need help, you have to ask for it. In our positions as clergy, people were kind of comfortable in some ways coming to us when something was happening in their life and they needed yeah. some kind of support. Um, but what, so I often think, well, without church, where, where, where yeah. do they go? Yeah. Like who, who's safe? Who's going to be responsive yeah. it, to such, because we responded to such a great variety of needs. It wasn't like, well, go to the food bank for this and go to a counselor for this and go to grief, you know, a grief group for this. We responded to all of it. Yeah. Well, well, who's the one-stop shop now? See, the, to me, it's the question of, is organized religion in some ways essential to the journey? Mm. Uh, because when you lose it, you realize how much, re- uh, what a great resource was there for people. And As you say, we were one-stop shopping. Like people would come to us for all sorts of reasons. And even if it, if it didn't end with us, if we said, you know, you should be seeing someone else. And so we make the connection. We were the one who they could go to. And they felt, but out, when you leave the, the world of organized religion, you, you lose that. Who, do you, who are you going to call? Right? <laughs> I, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. And we, yeah. could, we should go back to the Ghostbusters and really just try to, try to discern yeah. this. 
but there's there's something also about, and I'm discovering this in as I'm I've been writing uh, in my blog about um, when there's no more gurus, because it's been important for me to stop relying. And, and it was when Jean Vanier fell. Mm. That, because I had been a part mm. of the large community only as a volunteer, not like as, as fully as many other people. But I looked up, I revered him. And when he fell, I thought, in terms of his reputation, I thought, okay, that's it. You know, it, it is the final decisive evidence that you cannot trust anyone else with your spiritual journey. And I, and I believe that. But as I was writing the blogs about it, I kept circling back to then who do you talk to? We talk to one another. Something that we're not gifted or that we're not trained in. We keep, we've always thought, and religion does this, I think. Mm. Religion keeps us in that kind of childhood mode that somebody knows better. And if we're, if we're living our life in the journey as adults, it's the realization, no one's going to tell me what to do here. So how do we support each other as adults on the journey? Right. It's, yes, of you know, uh, Fowler's uh, stages of faith is uh, yeah. coming front of mind. Um, I've always thought of myself as kind of further up on the scale, not necessarily better. I think that there is a place for religion, um, for instance, for their people who are in addiction. For instance, they need something they can hook into and yeah. say, "I know this for sure." They may not need to stay there. They, you know, the yeah. the hope is they're gonna, but some they need to go to a church where the where somebody's gonna stand up and say, "I know best, listen to me, and life will be better." So I think that there are people for whom that kind of uh, certainty is required at a stage in their life. Um, I never wanted to, anyone to stay there. <laughs> you know, yeah. I'm like, yeah. okay, fly. You know, you know, get your find well, your footing and get your wings. And unless but. you're an oldest child, you're not comfortable with everyone looking to you to tell them what to do. You're a youngest. I'm a middle child. But uh, there is there is something in in our past that would say, I don't know what you're supposed to do. No, I'll, I'll walk. I'll walk with you, but. You got to figure it out. Don't ask me. Yes, absolutely. That's so funny. I never <laughs> with, thought of it. My about with apologies being youngest, yes. to all the, the first children. First you children. know, you've done a marvelous job. Just stop telling well everyone what to do. Because <laughs> <laughs> the rest of us are going. We can't live up to that. I don't know what to tell people. I, I will say there was a there was a particular incident that happened at a parish that I was at. Uh, I was preaching. A man had come in. I'd greeted him when he first came in. He was dressed a little unusually, and anyway, while I was preaching, so at the end of my sermon, he was kind of squirming in his seat, and at the end of my sermon, he stood up and started saying, the Spirit has left this church, you need to, we need to excise all the, the you know, the evil spirits, and and I was terrified, and the reason I was so scared was because he was looking at me. I'm looking at him and the rest of the congregation and the rest of the congregation put their heads down because they didn't know what to do. Yeah. And I'm trying to get the attention of uh, some of the gentlemen and the, like, I need, I need someone to stand up for me. And he's moving up the aisle and his suit was too big. And I thought, what if he has a gun? Wow. Like he was so agitated and he was so angry and it was coming out on me full. And I was thinking, oh, we've got a room full of kids down the hall. Like I was... It was one of those moments where I was aware that 
my digestion had stopped. My like I everything yeah. had shut down in my body. Yeah. But I was the one who needed to deal with this situation. Yeah. He took a breath and I said, uh, please stand and join me as we declare our faith in the words of the creed. And 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 that was kind of enough to, you know, throw him off his tirade. And um uh, and he left. He was escorted to the door. I finally got someone's attention. I said, did you lock it? They said, no. I said, go and lock the door. <laughs> like We don't need this guy yeah. coming back in. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. very traumatic. Um, somebody came into my office on Tuesday. I was so traumatized that I literally spent the rest of the day absolutely shaking in fear, t- telling the story to my friends. I was just yeah. absolutely traumatized. And a woman came into my office on Tuesday morning and she said, I'm very disappointed that the leadership didn't stand up and uh, and yeah. uh, and help us through this. And I said, did it occur to you that it happened to me too? Hmm. And she looked at me and, and it hadn't occurred yeah. to her that yeah. I'm a person. But she saw you in, in the role. Uh, the, it was just the role. Yeah. So the person in the role should have gotten it said something to make us feel better. I did phone a number of people who had had to leave, make sure they. That was the first thing I did. Then I lo- allowed my trauma to hit. But it was that I was only seen as the role, and there was no ability for this woman to see me as an actual person. That I was experiencing the same trauma, yeah. and that I didn't have all the answers. I didn't know what to say to them and they nobody phoned me nobody called me to make sure that i was okay i wasn't so there's something about the mutual responsibility of members in the community as adults yes as adults which is different because you are the you are the mom i was the mom so mom moms always look they can look after themselves because they look after us but Mm -hmm. your experience was people Mm-hmm. We are like we are all in this together, right. and you needed them to, to man, man up. I want to say, you I, know, yeah. whatever the. But other. I needed them to step up. I needed step them to. Up. I needed to be cared for. Yeah. As much as I tried to care for them. Yeah. Uh, because in caring for them in the immediate aftermath, yeah. uh, I suppressed my own experience, as we do. Yeah. Right? Uh, because I cared about them and their experience and want and wanted to make them feel better. But it was so hurtful that it seemed that nobody thought to do the same in return. And i that's part of church land that I don't like. I don't like that big separation between, um, you know, priest and congregation. I I, I always felt like I was part of the community. I was like, don't make me say the prayer before we have dinner. I taught you all how to pray. That's what I'm doing every week. Like somebody else would say the blessing. I'm no better, no different. I'm just, I'm just here to help. Uh, you know that we're all on a journey. So somebody else can bless the food. God, I don't for have God's a, sake. For God's sake, <laughs> it's not like I have a special hotline. <laughs> so, so it identifies um, a weakness of the role of religion. Um, in uh, on the spiritual journey, when the community is is that rigid, right? Very. Where there, there are leaders, mm-hmm. they have the answers, we do not. But community as a mutual, it's almost like the church, at least in our experience in the Anglican Church, it's not set up to be a fully communal experience where we're all equals. Maybe if we were Quakers, may I, but that that could be idealizing a group that I don't know enough about. Um, but it seems still possible, and I desire it, and I think you do too, to, to I want to be part of a community. Just don't 
somebody tell me what to do. Like, um, let me be who I, it's, uh, if I'm going through a hard patch, I'm not asking everyone to step forward and give me answers and tell me, but I want you to be with me. I right? envied your description of your men's oh, right. group. Oh, yeah. my gosh. But I envied that. I had that while I was in my training for pastoral counseling. Yeah. We met once a week where there were six of us. It was intense. We did yeah. interpersonal relationships, so we shared a lot of ourselves. And I loved it because there was no, and it was Brian Rattan, who is uh, yeah. amazing. Yeah. So he never kind of set himself apart yeah. or as different. He was part of us, and he shared as as we shared. And there was an intimacy, intimacy yeah. uh, that came from that kind of mutual experience and mutual respect, that didn't mean that we didn't sometimes get angry or have disagreements yeah. or, yeah. you know, um, but we were just on, we were just on the journey with each other. See, it's so powerful. It's so powerful. And it's, and it seems if there is a spiritual journey beyond church land for those who feel they can no longer be fed primarily by an organized religion, that community, ha to, I think we're both saying it, that that sense of community has to be part of the journey. Otherwise, what a very lonely journey. Like when people used to say to me, you know, well, why, um, why is it important uh, to come to church? Like, I, I'm a good person. Well, it isn't. It's, it's important if it's useful to you. If it's not useful to you, don't mm -hmm. come to church. But I always felt it was useful. Like it was useful to have a community that you can go to, whether or not you're going to uh, accept everything that's said and like all the people, because we know that's not true either. In, in right. real community, you don't like all the people. But, but to travel together with some kinds of... But as a priest, you liked all of them, right? You, didn't you have a deep and abiding... Yes. Yes, I did. Yeah. You're right. I was forgetting. Yes, you. I know. I, I know. It slipped right. your mind there clearly right. for a minute. But I, when I look back in preparing the, the memoir, I was, and there's so many stories I, I just couldn't yeah. fit in. There, quite often the difficult people had a certain giftedness. Mm. Like by my, it made me, as we said earlier, but it made me step up. It made me deal with parts of myself I didn't like. And mm. I think for, for a community to work, it has to be, quite uh, diverse with people who aren't like me. Is one of the things that we're talking about, um, Brian, uh, forgive me for, um, you know, taking over just for a moment, but is one of the things that we're talking about is how do we recreate uh, that experience of having a mutually uh, supportive group of people yeah. who are just there to journey with us, not to tell us what to do, not to look to for guidance or for them to fix our issues, but just to say, well, it's a really tough time or, and I want, because I, uh, I have an abiding, uh, um, affection for you, these people. Yeah. Um, and I feel safe, safe here to be able to express things that perhaps I, you know, don't want to express out there publicly, but to have that kind of group experience where it can be mutual, yeah. I think is that what we're talking about. I think, I think it is, I, and I and I wonder if um, that 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 isn't a very intentional expression of community. That it happens naturally among friends, right? But there's something different that says, "Would you journey with me?" Or let's say, let for the next year, let's the six of us, the eight of us, the ten of us uh, gather weekly, once a month, once every two weeks, something around uh, a process that we all agree together mm -hmm. 
that allows us to tell our stories. It's simply, I'm going to share with you what's going on, and here are the rules. Nobody tells anyone what to do, mm-hmm. but we offer support, and um, and that is enough. And we offer the friendship of, of the road. There's something there, isn't there? there it doesn't Because is... doesn't that just sort of inflame something in your it heart? It does. It makes me so happy to yeah. even think about. I do, I do have to... Because, because you would only be able to have six to eight, ten top people tops to make that kind of group work. And but is there some way to kind of make that flow in a way that doesn't turn it into church? But yeah. that you could have those kind of um, satellite groups, if you will. But then an opportunity to once a month or once every two months come together as a bigger group and so the singing celebrate. would be better. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a pretty good singer. I don't know what your problem is. I, th- I think the awkwardness of six people trying to sing sure. together as opposed to 60. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. but well, let's leave it let's leave it there because I think that that really that asks a wonderful question that I'll want to come back to in the future that we may want to talk pick up and talk about some more um because I think community is key because that's what we miss. That's what you that's miss. That's right. what I miss. Really relationship. Yeah. Support. Yeah. Okay, so I don't want to get all Monty Python on you, but uh, given your your faith journey up till now, yes, what would you say if somebody were to ask you, Tara, what is the meaning of it all? What is the meaning of life? What is the purpose of all of this journey anyway? I, I've had well, people ask me this. Well, say, well, why do you keep talking about what a is journey? the meaning of life, Brian? <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry. Okay. laughs> okay. 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 That was a bad connection to talk about <laughs> Monty Python. Sorry, but I went there okay, with you. But, okay, but that's okay. a different movie. Okay, sorry. We're not I, just, about I got that them movie. all confused, Life of Brian. Yeah, okay, sorry. The meaning of okay. life. The meaning of life. What is it all about, Tara? Because I think that it is actually all about relationships. I think that we are, uh, we are put on this, I don't, I, I talk about this in my marriage preparation program, uh, and um and one of the things I talk about is that I don't think that humans, that us, we were meant to be alone. And I, so if we're not meant to be alone by the universe or the Big Bang or however things came to be, then how, then if, then if that's not it, then the meaning of life is to be in relationship and to be, uh, to become more aware of how we interact with each other, you know, in, in painful times when our, when our skin is gone and our nerve endings are showing, things can bump up against us and we, you know, take them too too seriously or whatever. But we're meant to be in a relationship. That is the meaning of life. And to nurture those relationships um, uh, and to be supportive and to note the angels and to be an angel for others. Well, you know, it's a perfect segue into the work you do is about relationships. Is well, thank you for bringing that up, Brian. So, because uh, we're we're wrapping up, but I want to remind people that in talking with uh, Tara Livingston, she is a counselor specializing in relationships. It can be divorce. It can you sort of match and dispatch. You know, I I kind of cover as a friend said, I'm covering the spread. <laughs> so, but my goal is the people that I do marriage preparation. For aren't we'll going to come back to you. They'll yeah. never need my You'll services as a divorce again. mediator. So, <laughs> so but I, but it it's been so uh, generous and gracious of you to, to be in the cave and having this conversation. I want to make sure that people know that they can reach you. 
um, should they want to follow up, whether it be relation issues um, or they, there's, sim- there's simply something in your voice that sometimes it happens and people mm. go, oh, that's somebody I'd love to talk with. Um, and especially in that kind of counseling uh, context. So it's trlconsulting.ca, not .com. Not .com. I couldn't, af- couldn't afford that one. .ca. Because you're Tara Rose Livingston. I'm Tara Rose Livingston. It's been a pleasure having you in the cave. Thank you for joining me in v- for this conversation, and hopefully we will do this again. I'm so excited. Thank you so much. What a great opportunity and a great thing you're doing. So thank you. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to my conversation with Tara Livingston, former Anglican priest who is now a couples counselor. If something we talked about has piqued your interest and you want to get in touch, you can leave a post on the Facebook group The Mystic Cave. You can write to Tara through her website at www.trlconsulting.ca. You can also write to me personally at mysiccaveman53 at gmail.com. Tara is a seeker who has left the church. In our next episode, our guest is a finder who is trying to broaden his understanding of God and that of his congregation along with him. Derwin Kostanak is an Anglican priest, the rector of Church of the Good Shepherd in Calgary, whose personal faith journey has led him from the narrow confines of evangelical Christianity to the intriguing possibilities of a more mystical faith where God is more mystery than certainty, but still, in conventional terms, God. I hope you'll join us. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Pearson. This has been The Mystic Cave. But it's too late.